Hey everybody, welcome to the segment we call Thrill Me, where we pick horror movies, thrillers, action thrillers, anything that like pulse pounding kind of a slight fear factor to it. And uh, I'm your host, Michael. Curzy's on the other side. Hey, how's it going? Sorry for the uh, long time eh. without without a, without an episode, dude. Seriously, it's that time of year though. I usually do not record between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so late, thankfully my slate has been real clean. And we kind of we kind of missed like the premier holiday for this kind of shit, and I I feel bad. Like from mm. a week before uh, Halloween all the way through the holidays like that's really when like the uploading should be more consistent so my bad it's okay um so this is a kind of a, a sidestep it's it's we used to do a show called trash cinema we may do it again but these are movies that are kind of trashy but i still think are good and um the two movies are night of the juggler and fade to black Night of the Juggler is kind of legendary because it's one of these that everybody discovered uh that's older than me they always talk about it. I've literally seen the well, some guy say it was a masterpiece, and I go, i got to find this movie. Found it on YouTube because it has never been beyond VHS. The rights are completely lost. I guess some bank in Europe owns it, and they don't give a shit that they own it. Hmm. I mean, I don't... I mean, it's just me, but I don't I don't get it. I mean, it's it's fine. Yeah, I don't. I don't see what the what the big hubbub is. But of course, it's it's all a matter of taste. I think it's really. I think it got better the second time I watched it. But mm. a lot of it is. It seems like a movie that you should have seen widescreen. But um, it's also you're taking forty years away. You know that movies have changed so much in forty years. Right. That, yeah. Uh, I really think this is a. It's an action thriller because it, this fucking thing moves at times, and it has a really good car chase sequence and stuff like that. And uh, but it's still, I think, part of the thriller category. Would you say so? Oh, definitely, yeah. I think what's interesting about both of these movies is that they kind of have... They, they share kind of a similar theme, which maybe we'll get into in a little bit. But, um, yeah. All right, so this is the one from uh, 1980 with James Brolin. And uh, it's, like I said, completely lost. And it's about... It's based on the novel Night of the Juggler, and I'm still not 100% certain why it's called that. I mean, not all the movie takes place at night. <laughs> and I guess it's just because he's juggling a lot of things all at once. Uh, it does seem like a strange... I think it was called The New York Connection in Other Countries, which that also doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. Yeah. Um, I was actually just about to ask, but, like, what the fuck... What, what's with the Night of the, the Juggler? Is, is that supposed to be the villain? Is that supposed to be the... The main character, like who's the juggler in this? Yeah, movie? yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out too. But it's all about mistaken identity and this crazy actor. And I've only seen one other movie, Cliff Gorman. Um, he has this look in his eyes, like he was always just a Looney Tune in movies. Um, yes. He uh, he's desperate for uh, money, and he's, he's like lost the fortune his family had because of other crazy things. And he blames a certain guy for it. He's going to kidnap his daughter. And he somehow, through the fact that his daughter looks a lot like James Brolin's daughter, kidnaps the wrong child and demands the money. And it's just this fucking breakneck pace. I mean, it starts immediately with the chase. And mm. he gets so close so many times. And I just can't believe just the, the, the thing. It just These little bits and pieces, whatever, get in his way and slow him down. And then he loses his daughter. And I think it's a really cool sequence. Yeah, I, I like the I like that part. Uh, I kind of like the opening where it's more about like seeing uh, more of the, the the main character his his day going home to his daughter, giving her hot dogs or something. I don't know. 
it was it was weird, but it, I, I like that that it shows something like that. Like it, it really gives you a sense of um, sort of like what their what their situation is uh, financially, because that does play a role much uh, later in the movie with the mistaken identity to give you an idea of like where the daughter is coming from and trying to explain that to this guy. Yeah, and and there's a big thing with what happened before the movie. I love movies that where life exists before. Not just yes. during the movie. So there's a whole thing. They don't 100% explain it unless I missed it. Uh, there was a case sometime earlier where he uh, you know, broke the code of silence and took a dirty cop down. Also, since he was on the uh, you know, the hunt or whatever. Hold on. I'm not saying it right. Since he's on like that list of like, oh, shitty cops we don't give a fuck about. When they started doing budget cuts, he was the first to go because they were glad to get rid of him. So not only is he now a, a, a poor, and he's out of a job, basically. He's a truck driver occasionally. Um, the cops hate his fucking guts, so most of them do not want to help. In fact, one of them is out of his goddamn mind and wants to kill him. Yeah, one, and that's probably the best part of the movie is that there is... And yeah, maybe this is the juggling part of the title, but... The fact that he has to try to find this guy sort of off the books in a, in a way while being chased by the cops for uh, for no really no good reason. Yeah, and it has a trashy element uh, with the fact that it's, it's in the sleazy part of New York. And he spends this big chunk of the movie trying to talk to a stripper um, and, and ask her what is it that she saw when his child was kidnapped. And I was actually shocked to see Sharon Mitchell was the role and she's a real porn star. Oh, I don't know who that is. Uh, she was the one that uh, was in, you know, okay, you know the room that he goes to where all the girls are dancing around and he keeps trying to talk to them, but they're not listening to him. Oh, is she the one that like followed him for a bit? Yeah, she has a really short okay. brown hair. Um, she's actually a lit- apparently a pretty good actress, from what I can tell, for a porn star. I mean, not that should, that sounds bad, but you know what I mean. I mean, they are great act- actors in general. I mean, you have to you have to buy the fact that they're enjoying. Yeah. Uh, especially in that time period when it was mostly run by the mafia, having a gun basically to their head. So, you know, some, sometimes they're even better actors. Yeah, it's just that that seems a little sleazy. And I thought it was really cool though because the frustration builds because he cannot get out what he needs to say, and he is on a time crunch. That's the biggest thing: is these people aren't listening, they're not helping, and the people who do help them seem to get you know in deep shit. Yeah. I, I do think that at all, while all this is going on, it's cutting back to the daughter and the kidnapper. And, and again, this is kind of like where the, where the theme is going to, a lot of it is out of necessity or out of mis, or being misguided. And it's sort of, I don't want to say necessarily it's about like <laughs> trying to reform police strategies or just like the criminal justice system, but it does definitely take a very different approach than most uh, 80s movies uh, from basically from here on out, when we get into like more of the Reagan era, and you get uh, stuff like Commando, and you get that sort of right. meathead kind of stuff. This is not that this isn't you know like brainless fun either, but it definitely there is more of an element of trying to understand criminality. And there, there's a weird, almost like Arrested Development mentality to the villain, yeah, because the things that he says they seem so childlike at times. Like he always talks about his mother in a certain way, or how his dad treated him. And he falls in love with this little girl. And yeah. it, it didn't seem like in a pedophile way. It's like he had something in his head that never reached a certain maturity level. Like he was just a really angry child. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, th- I think that comes across really well. Um, it's it's more... Yeah, it's more about this... It, this character is kind of a... 
uh, it's tragic in this way. Yeah. That like if if something went right, like you wouldn't be in this position. You know, if there was just some luck, or maybe you just had better upbringing, whatever. So that there's that kind of that element in the movie that I think is. Uh, makes it worth watching for sure. And, and one of the things that his character has is a severe anger towards anybody who's not like him. He he hates rich people. He hates anybody of a different race, and he blames them for all of his problems. And his, a lot of it has to do with his just ignorance and, and lo, low level intelligence. And I feel that still speaks today because we see so many people just blame things that make no sense. Where yeah. where the real villain is right in front of your face, and you just don't want to see it because they look like you. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what when he does call the 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 wealth the wealthy family. Um, what did they do about that? I, I don't. I well, remember, I remember I, he I feel asked. Like they just ignored him. Yeah, he asked them for money. No, I think they actually called the cops because they were concerned because they thought he was he wasn't thinking right and that he was going to come for their daughter. She's like, "What are you uh, talking about? Why would I give you money when my daughter's looking right here?" And I think the mother panicked and thought that she was going to eventually be kidnapped, and that's when they got the police uh, involved and actually started listening because no one gave a shit when James Brolin was uh, complaining. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. I really like the heavyset cop. He, uh, I don't know who that actor is, but he has a very casual approach to his acting, and I do love the scene where he's talking about investing in that yogurt. And uh, <laughs> just, he goes, and what is it again? And he explains it to me. He goes, no, I'm good. I'm, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yogurt, frozen yogurt was like a brand new thing. Yeah, and it didn't really get popular until Seinfeld did that episode on it with Giuliani. Yeah, the uh, the two major sequences though, yeah, the uh, the initial car chase, and then there's a chase on on the the streets with Dan Hedaya, uh, character actor Dan Hedaya, who um, who is just openly firing in the middle of the fucking street. And those sequences really kick ass. I love the fact that the cops walk up to him like, "Who the fuck are you? And who? Why are you opening? I don't care if you're a cop. You don't open fire in the streets." Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't re- really remember that sequence that much. Oh, I feel, okay. oh man. The uh, so this movie's kind of strange, also because three quarters of it was directed by Sidney J. Fury, who became known for doing things like Iron Eagle, and he was big in the seventies. But he quit because James Brolin actually broke his ankle in that car chase sequence. And so he was sick and tired of waiting around, saw another job arise, uh, arriving or whatever, and said, oh, guys, I've run out of time, I'm out. So they hired somebody else to finish it. So um, you'll see James Brolin limping for part of the movie because his foot was still healing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I kind of remember that. It was like walking weird. It's like, huh, did I miss something? Yeah, so when he's walking down the hill away from that gang at the end, which is, I think, a really intense sequence, how things can just escalate so fucking fast for no reason whatsoever... Uh, you can see that he he can't walk very well, and he's still just fucking powered through it. Yeah, well, so what you gotta do it? Yeah, it's it's funny how his son broke out so much bigger, and he for a moment I think James Brolin was a red hot actor um, who did. He was in the Amityville Horror. Right, right that's his big yeah. hit. He was in Westworld, which is also a big hit. But he did a couple movies after this, which I think are fantastic. But. Um, from the interview I read with James Brolin or Josh Brolin is that he and his brother were getting into a lot of trouble so uh, his dad stopped doing movies and started doing a TV show which basically destroyed his career mm. what, what TV show? it was on TV for about five years called Hotel mm-hmm. it was basically that. Love Boat but in a hotel so oh no yeah it's one of those where he could show up for a day just be like the wraparound like hey I run this hotel here are the, here are the guests and the stories would be about the guests so, yeah. but he made the choice for his family, not about fame and money. So, I, I, I kudos to him. Good for him. That's uh, very much. Uh, oh man, well, this is 
Rick Moranis. Same yeah. Guy. Yeah. I highly recommend this movie. I enjoyed it, I think, a little bit more. I enjoyed it more the second time and maybe sometime down the road. If someone ever finds the rights to this and releases it in a clean print, that was a hard thing, wasn't it? <laughs> the musty old VHS that we saw on YouTube, that didn't help. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. Definitely at times, I'm like, I don't know what the hell is happening right now. Yeah, and uh, especially in the tunnels. The, the whole final sequence yes. is in the tunnels. And I'm like, what did Holy I just crap. see? But I thought that was a pretty interesting ending. I just wanted to see it better. Yeah, me too. How he doesn't even care about the money anymore. Or or how he keeps changing in his mind based on the position. He's like, well, this money isn't for me, it's for her. And he's like, but it's my daughter. He's like, yeah, but we're going to run away together. We love each other. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? And then he's just, just keep going, keep going. He's like, please don't go. The desperation just seems so childlike. Yeah, and ultimately really sad, too. Yeah. Which, again, is what's uh, probably one of the better parts of the movie. The, uh, the second film we're going to discuss is also kind of about... Um, damaged uh, development in a, in a, a man uh, fade to black is kind of notorious because it was another one that was like hey this is a great movie but it got lost for a long time it just got released on blu-ray for the first time ever on thanksgiving i have a copy coming but um there's some stuff i love about it and there's some stuff i cannot figure out at all um but it's about a movie obsessed a uh, guy who works on a lot, you know, works in prints or whatever, and he's just uh, be abused by his a supposed aunt, but it actually turns out to be his mother. Um, and then people he works with, they all think he's a creep and a weirdo, and, you know, he tries to get with girls and it doesn't work. Some stuff really... I think Dennis Christopher, the main guy, is great. Yes, he's fantastic. But I think his turn... I'm not completely sold on his instant turn. Yeah, that one was uh, was a hard sell. I thought it was mostly funny, so it didn't bother me. I actually really like this movie. The uh, the one thing though they did do right is that he has so much like frustration emotionally, like the the villain in the previous movie, is that he's not one hundred percent certain of what he's doing or what he wants because he'll do something and then immediately regret it and like he'll throw up or he'll panic or sometimes it's like accidental deaths. Yeah. That's uh, 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 yeah. It's a kind of complete theme of both movies, is that there is a sort of I don't want to say necessarily detective. He's more like a police psychologist, I guess. Um, where his whole thing is that he feels as though it's basically upbringing that causes a, a lot of uh, emotional problems in people, and that's really uh, that we should be looking at criminals more as uh, as victims as well as perpetrators of of crime. So. Which was an interesting idea, but then he was only in the movie for about five minutes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it surprising just... it was in 1980 that during... I guess you're right, because we're not in the Republican era. Five years from now, that's, that's going to have a completely different plot. I mean, well, yeah, because Reagan was, was like 80 or 81, but before that it was Jimmy Carter. Right. I think. If I remember correctly. If I remember my U.S. history, which I probably don't. <laughs> don't listen to me. No, no, he, he, you're, you're correct. He was 81 to 89 is uh, Reagan era. So, and Reagan really did... The era didn't really kick in until like 84. That's when everybody thinks right. of Reagan is eighty four to eighty nine. Yeah, that's that's when the good movies started coming out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also had a different mentality. You still feel a lot of sensitivity. As, as wild as these movies are, and they're kind of trashy in some elements, but there's a lot of sensitivity to them. It's, there's a lot of humanity to these stories right. that they're telling. It's not just you know thriller, popcorn kind of fun. That there is something that they're trying to say, and I think that does make these movies especially fade to black uh worth watching for me uh because i actually 
uh, like to write short stories from time to time, and I've actually written a short story that's very similar oh, to yeah. this story. So, because like I always had, I always uh, like the idea of having the main character uh, of a, of a movie like this, where he's supposed, where he's playing kind of the tropes that would be played by some attractive actor, just be played by someone who just looks like some guy. Yeah, you know he, you know. Um, Oh, like they they re they remade Maniac with um, Elijah God, Wood, that? right? Elijah Wood, right? And what was great about the first Maniac is, yeah, he just looks like some guy. He just talks like some guy. Um, and but then you have Elijah Wood, like movie star, handsome. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel the same. It just feels corporate and it feels uh, like there. It it just feels weird. Uh-huh. So I really I really like this story, just being a very a very normal per- looking person. Yeah, it's it, now by the time this came out, he was actually a name, but I believe this movie was made right as because he was in a movie the year before called Breaking Away, which I think he got Oscar nomination for, and uh, so he was kind of a, a hot property for a moment. And it just I heard that he's like super super method, and sometimes it's difficult to communicate with him and work with him. So a lot of people stop casting him, but I've seen him in stuff, and I just think he's astounding. I almost got yeah, to meet great. him, and I, I'm just really disappointed I didn't get to. Oh, that sucks. Um, my oh. friend Will Farharo was a uh, teenager um, around this time, and he was friends with Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke was kind of his um, big crap. brother, in quotation marks, and he got to hang out on Fade to Black and, and see how it was made. Nice. That's awesome. Maybe you should uh, interview him about that. Uh, we talked about it a little bit years ago. I have the episode somewhere. Well, because we did, when I first started podcasting, he came on to help me, and uh, we talked about him being in that movie, or being uh, around that movie. You should uh, like clip that and put that like with this episode. You know what? That is a good idea. Um, so, and I get the movie thing. I, I mean, I've had moments like this where I have to pretend like you know I'm normal, but sometimes you can really yeah. geek out to movies. Life sucks shit. A lot of it's in my head. It really isn't that bad. There's people that have it way worse than I do, but I usually lose myself in pop culture, in movies, in comics, and TV, and stuff like that. Music. Because I don't like the real world. And I see where he's going. He is uh, has an ho- awful home life. Work doesn't go the way he wants it to. So he just loses himself in this world. And the further the stress builds up, the further he loses himself into it. Like, he becomes the characters. Yeah, and it's a, it's a way to adapt and it's a way to escape uh, the unfortunate reality of his life. Yeah. And, um, I, and I think anyone who's listening to this podcast, especially this podcast probably can understand and, and maybe feels the same way because I certainly feel that way from time to time. And I think I think a lot of people do. The way people talk to each other, people often will quote movie lines to each other or, or things like that. And it's not very different from what he does. It's just that he doesn't have friends to kind of like understand the joke or understand the reference. Right. He so doesn't get to bounce off anybody who's on the same level with him because every time he tries to reach out to somebody, it's so awkward. Like he tries to be nice in that, that cafe to the girl, but the one girl's really shitty to him and he doesn't know how to approach it properly. He has a pre-George McFly Back to the Future scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, or he's trying to talk to the guys at work and they're douchebags and he's like, you know, doing that bet about... Um, Casablanca and just Mickey Brooks a real asshole about it. That shit was the best. I can't believe that. That I've never seen someone be such a jock about Casablanca. That was my <laughs> favorite scene. Yeah. So I know everything about that movie. I've seen it backwards and forwards. 
oh, you're talking about Rick, the owner of the Americana Cafe? Like, nobody talks like that. Right. <laughs> but but maybe in show. L.A. it is. Maybe movies is – I've, I've been around people like this, never not as good-looking as Mickey Moore. Good Lord, was he handsome back then, right? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, If you put a picture of him now and then, people are like, what? That's the same dude? Uh. Yeah, but I've seen people be so fucking pretentious about pop culture. It's like, no, there was actually issue three forty two of Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man, not Spectacular Spider Man. I was like, all right, dude, you know it's Spider Man, right? We're good. We're on the same page. Shut up. (laughs) Well, there's a difference between the guy that does that and the guy and Mickey Rourke doing. True. There was a there was a jock though once I was working at Target. And I was in the uh, the you remember that you remember that room where they locked up all the movies and electronics and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, so I was in there doing a scan return, and we're talking about something with some sports movie or whatever. And all of a sudden, he looks at me, and goes, "Dude, you're really a fan of this, whatever. You won't say that." And I was like, all right, "Do you feel better now? Do you feel like a man? Are, you, are we good? Can we go back to work?" This is it, people. You can. It's not just movies in pop culture. It could be sports. It can be any. You know, cars. Stuff like that where people are just like, I know more than you. That means I'm cooler. It's like, no, not necessarily. You just don't have to be a dick about it. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I really appreciated about this one is that there are often stories of, like, nerds hooking up with really attractive women. And it really comes off as weird and forced. It's like, why would you hang out with this this weird guy? Like, that doesn't make sense. But they actually went the extra mile to explain it in a way that actually makes sense, where the person that he was kind of pseudo-hitting on in the restaurant, um, where she wants to be an actress or a model and that kind of thing, and she loves movies, but where she grew up, like there were no, like there was like no cinema. So meeting someone who's like really into movies and was like trying to get her into it was really, I, I thought... That kind of that kind of makes sense that she would want to hang out with someone like that. Yeah, her. and it was really sweet that she felt so bad about accidentally forgetting the date, yes. and then you know she runs over there, or whatever, and she's trying to find him. not just like oh he's not here, I'm gonna go. She was like felt shitty about what she did, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, so yeah, there's there's a lot to like about this movie. I think we're probably gonna start talking about the the turn that this movie takes, and, and it kind of starts to go a little downhill from here. Yeah, it's it's when it starts building into like a slasher. Some yeah. of it works, some of it doesn't. It, it's a gimmick, and that's what bothers me. Is it doesn't feel true to the story. But um, there was an element right before we get into that. Uh, there's an element in this that I got annoyed with, but then I started thinking about it. It makes sense. There's a lot of filler where he's just wandering the streets. Oh, they're showing you this theater. They're showing you this, whatever. And it's like a tour guide of Los Angeles sometimes. Or or there's too many sequences where he's just watching movies. And then I was like, wait, he's a guy who has no friends, who doesn't want to really be around his mother or his aunt. And yeah. he just kind of, like, wanders. His whole world is just wandering, looking for something that he can connect to. And that's what those sequences are more like, not just filler. Right, exactly. That's that's kind of how I that's kind of how I took it as well. Just this crushing loneliness that not only do we understand about him because it's awkward, we understand because we watch what his life looks like, and we understand that everything he does is completely alone. Yeah. Uh, whether or not he's trying to talk to people that never goes well when he's just trying to escape from his mom whether he's just going to work there's just nothing in his life that he can reflect on and so the thing is with his mom now i want to get this straight so she pretended to mm, she pretended to be his aunt because why i think because she low-key hated him maybe not even low-key but she hated him because he 
since he was um, an unplanned pregnancy kind of like ruined her career and so she didn't want to acknowledge that she was his mother and because she gave birth to him is why she couldn't walk or like fucked up her back or was there something else I missed uh, I, I, oh I don't know because I, I think she was blaming part. him for that but yeah but he was so young that he didn't know and so, but she she snaps one day. She keeps holding it in, and she's so abusive. And then she just oh just... no, I remember. Um, he something happened when the when he was home alone. She was out somewhere at a party or something like that, like some um, Hollywood bigwig, some something like that. And then he hurt. He got hurt or something, and the babysitter called her to come home, and she got into a car accident. And that's oh, what... so that's why she blames him. Jeez. Yeah. And he told, and he was explaining to her, it's like I never asked her to call you, and so yeah. Well, he's still a child. That's the fucking yeah. stupid. You're still your responsibility. You're the one who got into the accident. Yeah. So it's just yeah. It, this this just tragedy, blow after blow, and this yeah. This and, and she blows up. But the thing is that she is always yelling at him. So this is just like her normal behavior. But she just is one step too far. And he finally just snaps. And he has this moment where he you know he regrets it and he throws up or whatever. And I guess it's just slow steps, but his jump to killing Mickey Rourke is where I was like, wait, that's a big jump ahead. Now he's purposely dressing up, and he's becoming basically like, you know, a, a monster. Yeah, it's, uh, it got weird. He's <laughs> kind of like a chameleon where he's like assuming roles of, of uh, movie characters and dressing up like them and doing the lines. Um yeah, it kind of took a turn where it was more like, oh, it's like I'm watching a Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the later sequels. Right, the gimmicky stuff. Well, it's so weird that yeah. he decides that he's going to be Cody Jarrett, but he keeps changing characters. So why does he stick with Cody Jarrett? Why does he constantly change his name based on the character he's going to do next? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so that's where it's a little flimsy for me, but I still think it has a solid ending, and uh, it's, it's a lot of it. It's just because Dennis Christopher's performance is very, very good. Yes. And, oh yeah, I, I love the psycho scene. Uh, that was brilliant. Oh yeah, I just wanted your autograph. It was so good. It was like the build up where she's taking a shower, and then like the, you know, you see behind the curtain, and he's like walking up, and pulls back the curtain, and he's just, and it looks like he's stabbing her, but he's just like holding a pen, and then he drops the pen in the water, and like the black ink is circling the drain, like the blood in Psycho. Yeah, I mean, that it was clearly good. loved. The who are directing or put this together clearly loved movies, but it's weird that they're all kind of like classic era. Like this is filmed in 1980, but it feels like most of the movies were from 40 years earlier. Which for a kid his age, you think he would be discovering movies from the 60s? Sure, um, that's not that's not totally unbelievable for me. But I think honestly, the real reason is because they need a character who watches a ton of movies, so there's going to be a lot of movies being watched. But they also wanted most of it to be in public domain, so they wouldn't have to pay anything. And actually, I don't think a single one of those, except *Night of Living Dead*, was public domain. I got really? another. I got another idea though, because I've heard stories of this in the mid '70s. Some of these catalogs from like Universal Studios and Warner Brothers and stuff like that, they started just putting together packages of movies and mm. sending them out to all the little stations and sold them for cheap because we're getting to the era where you know home video is going to become a thing, and maybe they just thought, hey, we can start sending these classic movies out to fill like afternoons or late nights or whatever and that's how the new generation discovered 30s and 40s movies you know there was a revival I forgot all these gangster revival and stuff in, in that era too and then uh, 
um, like comic strip kind of stuff. Not comic books, but comic strips like Dick Tracy and Popeye and stuff like that. So maybe mm-hmm. that's what it was. Maybe these kids weren't discovering it 20 years later like we do. They were discovering from 40 years earlier because that was what was being packaged and sent out. That makes sense. <sighs> now well, we, some... we just yeah. yeah yeah now we just we just solved that we just solved that case. <laughs> um, so that is the end of our discussion about 1980 thrillers. We're going to be moving on to 1981, and I got to tell you some great ones. There's the Howling, Scanners, Escape mm. from New York, stuff like that. I cannot wait. Oh, dude. Okay, we got to uh, when we when we, when we get to it, we got to talk about the Howling too. I don't know what year that That's is. That's 85, I think. Okay, yeah, 85 or 86. I'm not dude, sure. I'm willing to discuss every single Howling movie except for that one, Part 7, where it's a budget of $12 and there's a bunch of rednecks just sitting around town going, Y'all seen that werewolf? No, I ain't seen that werewolf. There's a werewolf in town. And it's a guy who shows up in a mask and jumps through a window, and that's the end. Well, now I really want to talk about Fuck. it. I want to watch it. should have told you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of square dancing, or line dances. Fucking insane. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that is it for us episode. I Seriously, 1981 is going to fucking rule. And we covered a couple of movies, like Blood Beach and stuff like that. But we got, 81 is like the golden year, uh, year of uh, horror movies and thrillers. Sweet. Yeah. All right, everybody. Good night. All right, everybody, it is the segment you've all been waiting for. By that, I mean nobody's probably been waiting for it, but <laughs> it's the last segment of our 1985 films. Uh, stuff that maybe wasn't a big hit. Well, there's a couple big hits in this, but a lot of it's kind of like lost movies. Uh, one of the movies we did miss, and it wasn't in time, Jacob will find uh, beer later. We'll do it on at the beginning of our 1986 episode, because beer is liquid bread, and it's good for you. <laughs> oh, my God, I had enough liquid bread for one night. Yeah. Uh, my head... Hey, my God, my head, it feels like it's pounding. It's like little Baba Yaga. So, swirling around in there. Yeah, so, uh... <laughs> Uh, if you're wondering what's going on, this is the end of the 1985 season. We're going to take a short break. We're going to do a couple other episodes, and we'll start back up probably at the end of January, early February with uh, the 1986 season. And, uh, Jacob, how are you preparing for Christmas? you all ready, or are you pretty stressed out and tired? Uh, I'd say I'm well set. I mean, Thanksgiving's usually worse, yeah. or leading up to it anyway. Yeah, Black Friday was <laughs> nothing for us this year. It was absolutely dead as a doornail because dealing with covid my company was actually responsible for fucking once and decided to start uh black friday sales on monday so it filtered down pretty well oh good yeah, yeah just, finally because in oregon I, we have, being... I don't know if you have i have capacity limits on stores in napa but here we do it's at 75 percent. i think it's gonna be going down to 50 percent soon uh, yeah, we do. Um, I know uh, Trader Joe's has always been like stuck to sticking with their guidelines uh, constantly. You know, Target, I believe, is starting to do that now, along with Whole Foods. But um, yeah, no, heck, even GameStop did that. Oh wow! Well, at least before they closed down. Okay. Oh wait, closed down? Like they're shut down? They went out of business? Uh, the one in Napa, yeah, like the nearest stores in uh, Vallejo now. Yeah, a lot of the GameStops are going out because they overspent. They, they, they're they so far in debt that I wouldn't be surprised if they cut another. They, they cut 30% of the stores this year. That's a lot. Um, and I bet you they cut oh, God, another yeah. 30 after Christmas. And we're only going to have 40% left for 2021. And who knows what happens after that. I th- I'm going to guess a lot of focus is going to be on online sales. Most likely, yeah. I know. I'm like, I, I like their pre-order bonuses. <laughs> Dang it. That was like my, that's where I got my video games. 
Well, before pre-order bonuses were even a thing, we're looking at 1985. What are the five films we're going to be discussing today? Start us off with number one. Okay, so number one, I got to get this one off my chest. I mean, I watched this so many times as a kid, and I couldn't help but like reenact some of the uh, the things they said. And you know, it was a pretty good soundtrack. Uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Um, it's definitely yeah. Bruce Lee exploitation. It is uh, definitely. With with some subliminal uh, music advertising. I mean, you think Anthony, there's wrong, a lot of music off. in this movie. I mean, yes, Barry Gordy owns what Motown Records was his label. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, of course. Yes, he's... it's a big music video. It has some really interesting elements, and I don't really think that Timac is that his name, Timac. Tamak? Yeah, Tamak. Yeah. Uh, is a good actor, but he's very gifted and he's likable, but he's not necessarily very emotive. But I think what everybody goes crazy for in this movie is show enough. <laughs> oh, God, yes, yeah. That's like one of the most quoted guys ever. <laughs> oh, no, who's the master? <laughs> yeah, uh, God, I can't oh, remember his man. name. He played Lord Bowler on a TV show I used to watch all the time called um, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. And he was also in the very first season of Two and a Half Men. Not Two and a Half Men, I'm sorry. Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Oh, wow. Wait, wasn't, uh, wasn't Ryan Reynolds in that one? Yeah, that's his uh, big breakthrough in America. Because he was on a Canadian show, I believe, called 15. And then they moved it like 16 and 17. I think it got canceled or something like that. And then he came over here to do that right after that show ended. And the first season is different because there's two adult actors with them. And they got rid of him in season two, so he was out of a job. So at the end, he passed away about, I think, 10, 15 years ago, so he died kind of young. Oh, Julius Carey was his name. Yes, thank you. I was literally trying to find that, and I, I couldn't get my typing in very well. Yes, uh, very like, oh, like oh, he was also on the TV show Doctor Doctor. So he got around. He did a lot of work, but he is fucking cut in this. Everything I know him later is that he's kind of beefy. Yeah, no, he was definitely ripped to shreds. I mean, but he had, he was he looked like he was a professional wrestler or like one of the um, oh gosh, one of the uh, WWE. Uh, there was two brothers who wore these big old hawk, uh, like hockey pads with all these spikes. Yeah, Hawk and uh, shit. They're called like the Demolition Boys or something Vader? like that. No, no, Vader. I believe so. Yeah, Big Van Vader was something else. I can't remember. I think I think it was called like the Destruction Boys or Demolition Boys. I could yeah. be wrong about this. But like I said. I will, say, I will say this about the character show enough. I'm like, he did have style. He did. And he was actually, I don't know if Julius Carey really knew martial arts, but there's some stuff in there he pulls off, and they're clearly not cutting away. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, Tamok actually does practice Jeet Kune Do and a few other uh, styles of martial arts. Yeah, because he's a but, real martial um, arts master, right? And they just happened to find him for this movie. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think... And, uh, even though it is like Bruce Lee exploitation, you can tell it's a love letter to him too. Yeah, well, there, there's uh, this is around that time when they started doing that. Uh, there's another movie uh, that came out, I think, about six months after. It's called No Retreat, No Surrender, and that is full on Bruce exploitation. In fact, I think the ghost of Bruce Lee visits the kid. <laughs> <laughs> Although that uh, that little uh, montage clip with Willie Hutch's The Globe playing, oh, that was like. I, again, that's just like an awesome clip. I like some of his best movies. Yeah, there's stuff that works in this but movie. Man. The one thing I don't understand, and I think it's so campy and so weird, is that subplot with the mafioso who's trying to push his girlfriend, like all her music. 
That's weird, right? Oh, yeah, with fake prints. Yeah, a little. It's goofy. Um, and, oh, yeah, Bill Macy was in there. He was, like, uh, he was Vanity's manager, I think. Bill Macy. <laughs> I can't remember who that is. Yeah, Will Macy. Uh, Shameless, uh, he was in... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, William H. Macy. Yes, there is a Bill Macy, though, who's an older actor, I believe, was in uh, Maud. It was in Maud. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, heck, even Chaz Palminteri was in this. I know. Was he? I didn't see him. Wow. Uh, Heck, he was like one of the the gangsters for uh, Mike Starr. um, Oh, Ernie Ernie Rice Jr. Ernie Rice Jr. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. Dude, he kicked ass. He did. Like, his scenes, I can definitely believe. Like, as far as, like, you know, doing the actual stunt work, it wasn't uh, Dolomite-esque. Because there was a couple sequences, (laughs) like, when he's dressed up as a ninja, and he's... Trying to save uh, Vanity, I'm like, okay, what the hell? This is like something that it's all like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vanity's in this, and I can't remember. I get Vanity confused. Vanity was in Purple Rain, correct? No, she was supposed to be, but she the prince had broken up. Well, who's in so, Purple Rain? Who's it, the girl in that? Apollonia. Apollonia, son of a bitch. Apollonia. Yeah, I know. I would know this. Okay, yeah, I didn't realize they were... Because I've seen Vanity in a bunch of movies. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. She was in 52 Pickup, Action Jackson, which is one of my favorites, and Never Too Young to Die, which is completely ridiculous. And uh, I always thought that she was in Purple Rain, so I feel bad. Yeah. But yeah, Ernie Ray Sr. was uh, involved as well. I think that's how Junior got involved. Oh, um... There's also one guy in particular, uh, Glenn Eaton, the one who played Johnny Yu. Was he that his best was friend? Like, was he his best friend who was kind of charming and funny? Wasn't who pretended like he wasn't good at martial arts and then it turned to be really good? Yeah, it's that, like the art of like the art of like not fighting by not fighting. <laughs> well, I think he is <laughs> really good. Sense. Where what's his name again? Because I I was looking to see if he was in something else, but he wasn't really, and I thought he was very charming. Yeah, Glenn Eaton. That was Glenn Eaton. I'm gonna Johnny look him U. up here. Oh yeah, Johnny Yu. Yeah, I you really enjoyed like, his performance. No, me too. I thought like he was my he was like my favorite and most watchable character uh, in this film. I mean, this is the day and age they're looking for young heroes, and I'm surprised that they didn't go to him. Yeah, dang no. I would have expected to see it. I would have expected to see him in more uh, films. Heck, oh wow, he did shit after this. He did a, a small role in Penitentiary Three. Don't don't try to explain that. There's some low rent garbage movies here and a bunch of shorts, and that's it. That's yeah, no, damn. I know. I think he deserved better. That's much as definitely. Um, however, how it all played out again as a kid, I watched this so many times. Heck, even my coworkers' kids. Yeah, uh, this was a big uh, hit. Yeah, I didn't know this. Uh, yeah. It made thirty-three million, which is a lot back then. And for most of the people from this to not go on to bigger roles, that's kind of strange. You think that someone got would have got more work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, Tamak in particular. But Tamok's still doing his thing, and he's still looking great. I'm like, I swear, there are some people I, that I, I'm convinced are vampires. He has an age. <laughs> uh, Faith, Faith Prince is in this as kind of like a nerdy Cindy Lauper kind of character. Um, I know her from uh, Spin City. She was on that as uh, oh, that nebbish guy. Yeah, he talked like this all the time. That was his wife. That's the only thing I knew. When I saw her in this, I was like, What? Yeah, no, that was pretty funny. She did, yeah, she did have like a Cindy Lauper quality. However, 
I think I remember her from Encyclopedia. I would watch it earlier on uh, HBO. What's Encyclopedia? Oh, Encyclopedia Brown? I believe so, yeah, that's it. The Kid Detective, right? Uh... I believe so. It was like almost sketch comedy, and I guess they were teaching you all oh, sorts of random words. Never mind. No, there was a, there was a short-lived uh, TV show when I was a kid called Encyclopedia Brown, which is based on the famous book. So I don't know what Encyclopedia is, but she's like a Broadway actress. Yeah, but that's one of the reasons. That's where I remember her. But my God, I thought <laughs> there are times where it's just like, oh my God, she does steal the show with like whenever she screams or when she puts um, the villain in his place, you know. Yeah. After she decides to leave him and warn Leroy. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty oh, entertaining man. movie. It's the first time I've actually watched the whole thing. I think I tried watching it about 12, 13 years ago, but I, I forgot that I never finished it. And I watched it this time. I was like, it's it's affable. Um, I like the the uh, final action sequence and the, the glow or whatever he had. Um, oh, yes. What's that song that plays over and over? Is it called The Glow? You've got the glow. You've got the power. By Willie Hutch, yeah. Okay. They really drilled that one into your brain <laughs> over and over and over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it did. Um, it play, Yeah, it played twice. First, when uh, Vanity's trying to impress Leroy, and then um, uh, Tamok's character. Yeah. And then later on near the end, when she's, like, you know, back in her studio and just sitting there all upset because, you know, Leroy left, <laughs> and everybody else is dancing at a celebration. <laughs> There was a really weird sequence oh. in this where he's trying to find the master behind all the, the wisdom. And he keeps going to that restaurant yes. where there's the three Asian guys who are like really hip and, and city slick or whatever. And uh, they're speaking jive and he has no idea how to talk to them. He seems like such a nerd. That was such a weird juxtaposition of what you expect out of an 80s movie. Absolutely, yes. I know. I'm, just, I know, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> how does this man... It's like, how does this man not know his own culture? <laughs> I mean, especially, like, by hanging out with his little brother, Richie, and, uh, you know, his family. Yeah, I like, but, you know, I, 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 thought, I thought the uh, the fact that he picked up Asian style was really interesting, but I thought that hat was fucking stupid. He's, like, watching a movie, and he's eating rice, whatever, wearing that hat, and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> a little too much. It's the yeah. 80s. What do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's still oh, pretty man. good, though. It's Yeah, it was a big hit. It's from the director of, oddly enough, Car Wash and uh, Bustin' Loose. I, I, I really like Michael Schultz. He didn't have a whole lot of success after this. This is like his last big hit. Okay. It is a bummer. What? Know, you think he would come back and do something now? Yeah. Well, he does a lot of TV. He's like the guy for TV, comedies and stuff like that, and drama. Oh, good. Yeah, he's still working a lot. Um, what is our next film? Okay, this one, this one I've never seen before, and I could not tell uh, until I saw the credits that it was a Scorsese flick. Um, yeah. It was After Hours. Yeah, it might be his most unsuccessful. After this, he started really questioning where he was going in his career because I think The King of Comedy was right before this, and it bombed. So he hadn't had a hit for a little bit. I think the last one was Raging Bull in 1980. So he got nervous, and he did The Last Temptation of Christ. He's trying to make something really controversial, and I guess that did well. But then, of course, he kind of went really big-time studio with uh, Cape Fear, and that just kind of cemented it for him. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, but After Hours is his only, like, I would technically say it might be considered a comedy. It's it's the lightest of the bunch, I would say. Yeah, it's definitely a dark comedy. Yeah, it's just some moments in this that are truly scary. Type. Oh, God, yes, I know. I'm like, okay, is this a thriller or what's going on here? Yeah. All these, to think, 
all done is just like, you know, a, a day at the office training someone new, uh, Bronson Pinchot, no less. Yeah. Um, you know, like, kind of like, uh, you know, I think that was a little bit of projection of Martin Scorsese. I'm like, I'm not sure which direction I want to go in. You know, because he's just a data processor at a bank. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden he just randomly meets Roseanne Arquette. This is how it starts off. You know, hit it off. He calls her up later on that night, and it's in New York. You know, it's twenty-four. It, the city's twenty-four-seven, practically. So it also, it, and the funniest thing that started it off, the twenty-dollar bill he was going to pay the taxi cab to Roseanne Arquette's apartment flew out the window, and that was the first bad thing that happened. It yeah. was just so awkward. It's just one of these movies the where, movie. and it starts that trend. I think it was a brand new thing where it, the movies where everything goes bad in one night. Usually those are horror movies, but this is the first time where it wasn't. And there's so many movies after this, like License to Drive, Mystery Date, uh, Into the Night with Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer. It was, it's like a mini genre of, hey, this night went horribly, horribly wrong, no matter how hard you try. Exactly. I mean, he's hoping to get lucky with her, and then she just gets really weird and crazy. Uh-huh. And not to mention her roommate is, uh, you know, like this one of those... Like an artist, like very open-minded, not really caring. It's like, oh yeah, no, don't worry about it. She like she just randomly takes off her shirt in front of him. Yeah, because you know, <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have to sexualize it. She's like, oh well, I'm a mess. Oh god, I gotta change my shirt. Eh, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, as it proceeds, like you know, he tries to go out with her, then he tries to go back home. Ends up um, meeting someone else. Like he bumps into Terry Gar. He bumps into. Uh, Oh God! Well, John Heard, the yeah. bartender. Oh, that's and weird. I just realized the mo- the parents from Home Alone are in this. That's weird, because Catherine um, O'Hara is in it later. Oh God! Yeah, she is. She was one of the punks. She was all messing with him, being sarcastic with him. But he kind of like was losing his patience and <laughs> just napped a little. Yeah, it's like everybody in course, this. Like, everybody in this is a little fucked up in one way or another, except maybe like John Heard, because. He just he's he's just confused on who he is and everything just keeps going wrong. This escalation of the timing of things or the people he meets up with just keeps making it worse and worse. He just wants to go home and get some sleep before he has to go to work again. That's it. I know, and and just the randomest things like he thinks Chichen uh, Chong were robbing uh, Linda Fiorentino's apartment, who's Rosanna Arquette's uh, roommate, and also he finds her tied up. She's like. Oh no! Those those guys are just buying all that stuff off me, and then it turns out she's just getting getting into some BDSM play. <laughs> yeah, but they, but they actually are thieves though, and that's part of the problem is that they're also thieves. So, and they think that he's since he's <laughs> not from around there that he's a thief. There's so many things in this that just go bananas, and uh, there are some moments that are truly terrifying. I don't want to say the plot point because I really want everybody to see this movie is. There's a scene towards the end that has to do with claustrophobia, and it fucking terrified me. Oh, gosh, yes, I know. Ugh. Just the sheer thought of that. Yeah. Ugh, it's nuts. And but... then... <laughs> just how it ended, though. Oh, man, I'm like, all he wanted to do was just get home and sleep. Yeah. And it's just... Poof. An escalation of events, but the fun part is it's kind of uh, broken up in these little bits because he had, he spends ten minutes with this character, ten minutes with this character. He revisit old characters, and it's just this—it's just one neighborhood. He can't even get out of this fucking neighborhood, and that's a small neighborhood. It's like a two-block thing where he just can't get out. Yeah, it was like Brooklyn, I believe, wasn't it? Because I—I I know Scorsese's originally from New York. If I wouldn't it be funny if this was a sequel or- to Escape from New York. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. A comedic retelling of Escape from New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm trying to think. Where is Scorsese from? Oh, he is from, he's from, he's from Queens. Yeah, this movie oh, right. was just a big flop. It ended Griffin Dunn as a leading man, basically. He's in Who's That Girl a couple years later, and that was a big stinker. So he went cut behind the scenes, and he started producing, writing, and directing. Now, I think his biggest movie is probably Practical Magic. Oh, yeah, there was that one. And then there's also... Uh, oh, I remember him in Step Kids. Yeah, uh, Step Kids. Was, uh, I remember him in My Girl. He's the teacher, I think, that she falls in love with. Yes, there was that. Oh, oh uh, no, that's... Well, Step Kids was the short name. It was... Uh, Big Girls Don't Cry, They Get Ah, uh, I was wondering if you're going to bring that one up. I forgot about that. I didn't realize it was called something else. Yeah, I, I remember having uh, watching Ninja Turtles 2 on VHS, and that was one of the trailers, and it was called Step Kids. Oh no, he's uh, still he's uh, acting it, a lot now. Okay, I guess just for a while it kind of died down for him. Yeah, I, I don't know. I honestly enjoyed this movie. I didn't really. Think, I mean, critics it seemed to enjoy it. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to. Oh fuck, I forgot he was in uh, uh, Johnny Dangerously right before this, huh? Oh Griffin, oh that's right. Yeah, hey, little brother. <laughs> Oh All my right. gosh, yes, the district attorney. Yeah, highly recommend it. It's uh it's a stressful movie, but it's also like this weird layer of like bizarro funny in it. It's not flat out funny, but there's some stuff out of these people that's so like, what? <laughs> that's odd. I know, and it's from Scorsese no less. Yeah. It's uh it's one <laughs> unique film that stands out from the rest of them. And he's not a guy who really gets pigeonholed. Yes, he does a lot of like gangster movies, but if you look at the big realm of things, though, he has a, a wide... I mean, he did Kundun, for Pete's sake. That was a movie about uh, uh, Tibet. Oh, yeah, and oh, one of his recent films, Hugo, from 2011. Right, in the silence. So he's ah. a very, very interesting director, and he never really lets me down. Mm-mm. No, it's hard to go wrong with Scorsese. Um, what is the next film? Okay. Uh, this one... I remember seeing this uh, late night HBO, uh, on a, and he was on the comedy section, and it took me by surprise. I was like, "Oh wait, it's a young Johnny Depp at Private Resort." Yeah, I wasn't sure whether to recommend this one. But there's some stuff that doesn't work in this movie, and uh, I'm going to tell you right now: the biggest thing is that I don't care for the heroes. But what I love are all the side characters and the fucking setups for the the wacky shenanigans are brilliant. Oh gosh, Hector Elizondo! Oh and, uh, god, that ridiculous fucking wig! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Oh god. Cody Goodman was in this as well. I'm trying to think. Oh, what was that one Major D? Uh, who's like so snooty around everyone? Oh, like, okay. Hold on. I, he's the security guard, right? I want to say uh, the guy who played uh, Reeves. I think his name was. Um. Hold on. Which character did he play? I'm trying to think. Um, no, no, no. The character's name was Reese. Uh, I want to say Tony Azito. Okay, Tony. Yes, it is Tony Azito. That's why I thought he's this tall, goofy security guy. He is in a movie that somehow we did not cover, and I can't believe I fucking forgot to ask you to, uh, ask you to watch it. It's called Pirates of Penzance, and it's the breakout role for Kevin Klein. He became a star after that movie, even though it tanked. Everybody saw him, and were just blown away by him. And Tony Azito is the head of the police force on this island that are trying to fight the pirates. And he's fucking great. He's a Broadway guy. He's very rubber-limbed. And he does a stunt in this where he gets punched by one of the pirates. He flips over backwards off of his head. 
I've never seen anything like this. And he kind of does it in this movie. Yeah. Well, I know he, like, gets in a fight with someone in the elevator, like, where they're, like, kind of getting at each other, ripping, like, like, you know, before, you know, like, ripping each other's clothes off and, like, trying to, uh, and strangling each other. Yeah. And the lady he harassed earlier is like, oh, my God, you are a pervert. Yeah. Some of the stuff is just so fast, so funny, and uh, Dottie Goodman, as the older lady they're trying to steal the jewelry from, is fucking hilarious. She, I could not stop laughing at her. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, I think this was like one of the DVDs she sent me in like the 80s summer movie collection. Yeah, oh, that's right, yeah, I forgot I sent you yeah, a bunch of summer movies. Yeah. Oh, no, but that one, oh, God, that one secret when, um... They have to, like, trying to hide that drunk girl. Yeah, and Andrew Dice Clay is the dude, I think, in the other room. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> comes out asking for protection. They keep, but they're, like, trying to hide someone, and they keep dropping her. Yeah. <laughs> or there's oh, a whole man. sequence where, where see, like I said, the two main characters are kind of stupid, just dumbass 80s guys. There's nothing really to work with. But Johnny Depp and Rob Morrow are very funny when it comes to the physical humor. And the way they set that, it's like a screwball comedy that you would see on, on a stage play. Yes, exactly. Then Rob but Morrow has to trim his hair. Do you remember when they go to the room to go to, uh, was it Lester Easterbrook from uh, Police Academy? They go, they think they're going to have a three-way with her. But they go and they end up like having to pretend to be like the haircutting, uh, the, the, fuck, what do you call that? A barber or whatever. And he, he cuts his hair and he fucks up his wig and he has to pretend he's still the guy. And there's a guy knocking on the door who's actually the real barber. Oh my God, it's so fast. <laughs> yeah, there. Like I said, it can have some charm, but I, yeah, overall, I didn't uh, find anything that would, you know, reel me back in too much. Wow, I mean, I'm, again, looking at, like, I'm looking at this right now. Johnny Depp and Rob Morrow took a mutual. Sw- uh, were so embarrassed by the film that they swore a pact to track down and destroy every copy. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I mean. I- couldn't really blame him, but, I mean, shit. <laughs> but, hey, Johnny Depp has, like, you know, had much great success afterward. Yeah. Rob it, Morrow? Yeah, Rob Morrow, it took him a while to outlive this movie because he was a Broadway guy. I believe he was in, like, uh, Brighton Peach Memoirs and Biloxi Blues. Uh, he's one of those guys. And then, uh, what, it took, like, five years to get uh, Northern Exposure, and that's how he broke out. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then Johnny Depp, of course. This is that weird moment between uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Platoon. And then the next year, of course, he gets 21 Jump Street. So this is the one. Yeah, I can see why he wouldn't forget this. But they have a gift for uh, Pratt Falls and, and physical comedy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he even clearly displayed that in Benny and Jude. Yeah. All right. Um, what is our next film? Okay, now this one was a big... Of course, this one was a big hit of the 80s. Like, um... One of the most memorable amongst the uh, John Hughes era. Sorry, uh, Anthony Michael Hall in Weird Science. Weird Science. Oh, God, dude, it's one an awesome hit by Lingo Boingo. Danny Elfman, man. Yeah. Danny Elfman, he's, he's, he's embarrassed by this song. He, I watched an interview with him. He says that he does not perform the song, that they never really performed the song after that first year. Uh, and he's embarrassed by the video. And I guess it's all because... Um, it was because at the last minute Universal Studios asked him to to do the song or whatever, and he wrote it on the way to the studio to pitch it to him. And for some reason, he feels like, it's just not one of our songs. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Stop being ashamed of your biggest hit. It's good. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think, 
what's his name? Allison Janey from um, Warrant. Oh god, he was like he hated cherry pie afterwards. Yeah. It's it's uh for this, yeah. um I mean Oingo Bongo is my absolute favorite band and he's probably my favorite composer. And I don't see any shame in this. Is it, I don't I don't understand that part. Yeah, and the weird, the, I don't know if it's because he embarrassed because it became such a big hit, or if that was their one breakout, you know, song or uh, the TV show. I don't know what it was, um, but thankfully everybody else in the cast uh, and, and the crew or whatever loved the film, and it grew to such a cult hit. It wasn't that big in the theaters. People don't remember that. It only made like twenty million dollars. Oh, damn! It didn't help that. I I think the week after this is when Real Genius came out, and the week after that is when My Science Project came out. So it's all right, right on top of each other. Oh wow! Oh damn! All these big, all these big, like you know, science-based, you know, com- team comedies just ended up just like piling on top of each other. Like, yeah. yeah, I think people got a little bit worn out. I can see that totally. Yeah, because back then movies had more shelf life. They wouldn't make a bunch of money in the beginning, and they would just stick around for a couple months. But if Weird Science is opening big, and then it doesn't keep playing because there's competition then you just killed yourself on that one pretty much yeah but oh man just the way this starts out they <laughs> they uh, just using a computer just to create like the perfect woman and you know wearing bras on her head <laughs> that I think was like a, a a running gag I think like in any kind of uh tribute to this film yeah well it's it's what this originally was and this somehow led to um uh tales from the crypt because joel silver was a massive fan of uh those old fun uh, comic books that were kind of dark and weird and whatever and so he licensed the name he didn't license the story like the way he would with tales from the crypt but um he worked with John Hughes on this, and I think it's weird because this is the first John Hughes-directed movie that's a little, you know, more farcical, you know, a bigger scope than just kind of human relations. And I don't know if he really ever... Did he ever do another... Oh, he wrote Flubber, I guess. That counts as another, like, fantasy sci-fi movie. The rest of them are all, hey, this is based in Chicago. These are a bunch of normal people doing a normal thing, just a kind of wacky, you know, like Home Alone and Baby's Day Out and stuff like that. Absolutely. Right, um, but yeah, no, this was, yeah, kind of over the top, oh, especially, um, oh, Bill Paxton. Oh my god, Chet is the fucking greatest heel in history. <laughs> oh man, just like, uh, like coming home the, uh, the weekend hunting, not only was, uh, not only were his, like, grandparents frozen in the pantry, <laughs> but, you know, what the hell is that? <laughs> oh man, and oh, as soon as, um, Oh, gosh, why am I thinking on her name? Uh, you mean Kelly LeBron? Yes. As soon as she, she got a hold of him, she put him right, she turned him into a piece of shit. Because he's always been, he's been a piece of shit to him for the longest time. <laughs> so it's only right. <laughs> oh, man, that seems just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just the way it, uh, it oh, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. was also in this. Yeah. For a scene. Do you know I still... I still do the... I, 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 that they do. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't blame you. Something like that can get stuck in your head and just be there for the rest of the life. Like, as soon as you hear someone else do that, that it's a... What's the word I'm looking for? Freud. Freudian effect. Is that what it is? Oh, man. But, yeah. I believe so, yes. 
I'm gonna look this up real quick. Like, something. The... Um, did you? I told you that I met the cast of this right at Comic Con last year. Yes, and you asked Anthony Michael Hall why he didn't come back for vacation. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, a- I didn't ask him. That was somebody else that asked. I was just sitting next to the guy. Um, no, I just told oh, okay. him that uh, the movie he did after this, which people say destroyed his career, was called Out of Bounds, which is my favorite movie of his, though I love Weird Science. Uh, Out of Bounds is fucking rad, and it's still lost, and I'm wrong. Wikipedia says this made $40 million, so never mind. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, okay. Okay, it was a much bigger hit. Mm. Yeah, no, oh, man, that last scene at the end, though, like those bikers when... Um... That's the rough part. That's the go. You have to just go, oh, it was the 80s. Mm-hmm. Because there's yeah, a like word, Mad Max. yeah. There's a that seems great, except there's a word that comes out of Gary's mouth that is unacceptable. Oh gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't remember it. I just remember him like putting the revolver. In the yeah, head. it's a, it's a and homophobic, it it's a homophobic slur. So uh, you just have to chalk it up to the '80s and just try to let it go. Yeah, no, those are the product. Hey, warning label. Like, there were some slurs and everything used as a product of their time. Yeah. Just like what Warner Brothers did with their uh, animated, with their uh, black and white cartoons. The uh, the mm-hmm. guy who's best friends with Robert Downey Jr., the one who pulls all the pranks, his name is Robert Russler, and he is actually from my hometown. Uh, one of the girls I was in high school art class with was his cousin. Oh, yeah. What else was he in? He was in Vamp, and he was in uh, The Second Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are kind of like his big things. Uh, I know that he had a coke problem for a while, and he had to leave and clean himself up, but now he's back to acting again. He's been good for a while. Glad to hear. Good for him. Uh, See what else is Thrashing. Thrashing. Do you remember Thrashing, the skateboarding movie, Josh Brolin? No, I don't i didn't even know that movie existed yeah it's pretty good it's pretty terrible too at the same time it's it's one of those like oh man i can't believe they made this uh he was a regular on babylon 5 for a season but mostly it's just one of those regular tv guys uh i'm trying to think of something you would have seen and i can't find anything uh sometimes they come back have you seen that the stephen king movie with tim matheson oh yes about those like greaser ghosts yes yes he's the main villain oh wow oh okay Damn, that's why he seems so familiar. Okay, I was wondering if it had been something. Yeah, for a while there, he was like the quintessential like '80s guy. Yeah, and of course, every time there's like a Mary, uh, '80s movie marathon, uh, this is definitely one of those movies that plays. And of course, Anthony Michael Hall was like uh, as a kid, you know, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, this, and oh, what was the other one that he got that he was in? Hold on, so, news related. Hold on, I'm trying to remember. So it go, it goes. Well, he was in the original Vacation, which John Hughes wrote. Then he was in Sixty Candles, Breakfast Club, uh, then this. Then he went to SNL, but then halfway through SNL, he disappears to go shoot Out of Bounds. And that was it, basically. He did Johnny Be Good, uh, Edward Scissorhands, and then his career just turned to like low-rent cable and uh, direct-to-video stuff. Until Dead Zone, of course. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, God. The thing that saved his career, basically. Yeah. Hmm. But then see him in a... Oh, God, there was... Oh, yeah, then see... Oh, yeah, he was also in Dark Knight. Yeah, he has a small role in that. He's, he's really beefy now, which... I, this is right before he turned kind of bigger. He, he uh, When he did Johnny Be Good, he had to be a football player, and he put on, like, 20 pounds of muscle. Of course, in Edward Scissorhands, he's really beefy. And he never really shook that. But he was so gawky and thin these first few years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, he was just growing. He was just... Growing up, man, that's all. Yeah. He was just going through puberty. Do you do you think... I, someone told me this scene was really offensive, but I still think it's hilarious because it's so absurd is when he's drunk 
and he's sitting there talking, but he's talking like this weird, like, blues man in the South kind of boy. He's like, man, this girl, she kicked me in the nuts. She kicked me right in the nuts. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Again, no, I, I can't say uh, as far as that goes to that for being offensive. I just thought he was just drunk out of his mind and he was just... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think he was... I don't know. I heard somebody complain about it and I was like, I don't think you're reading that right. But um, I think it's just a really funny movie, very, very creative, and just one of these where um, Joss Whedon was complaining about this movie. He said that uh, he didn't like the way that Lisa was used, like they just created this woman as a sex object. And I was like, did you watch the same movie I did? Because she always has the upper hand. She's always in control. She's the leader. She's the boss. She's never used. Exactly, yeah. I mean, they built her for their pleasure, but then she uh, ends up... You know, being something far more than that because yeah. of the uh, advanced computer system that they I have. think she's just Early. a very a strong female hero in the 80s, and there wasn't a lot of them. No, not, no, not too much. I mean, there's Legend of Billie Jean. Legend of Billie Jean, there's this. Aliens, Terminator. And, uh, uh, it's, it's few and far between. But this is when they started, I think this is when they really started rising up. Yeah. Um, oh, man. There's, there's a very yeah. wonderful... classic. There's an edition of this from the UK, which you can get in America, and it works on all Blu-ray players. It's from a company called Arrow, when they put out a very, very exquisite edition of Weird Science yes. last year. But there's extra footage in it. Some of it's the stuff from the TV airing because they had to cut stuff out, and some of it just was left on the floor. It was only a few minutes. But in this, you discover that... Uh, I'm trying to remember. Okay, Wyatt is uh, Ian, Ellen Michael Smith or whatever, right? Mitchell Smith? Mm-hmm. Um, he has a sister. Yeah. And that's why when you, uh, at the end of the movie, when they're sleeping in beds, whatever, the girls, out of nowhere, you're like, where, where does, that's not Chet's bedroom. Whose bedroom is this? He had a sister who was way at college. Right, yeah. Because they had, like, an extra, because they did have, have an extra room. I'm like, wait a minute, there's Chet's room, there's that room, and then there's this other room. But then again, it was a big house, so. Oh, to say, in the 80s, <laughs> it seems explain. like all these movies were set in suburban, like, rich, ass- oh, no, I forgot, John Hughes did a, a Ferris Bueller, which I bet you that was just down the street from this house. <laughs> and Home Alone, I feel like these are all in the same neighborhood. I bet you, what if there's a Hughes-averse? <laughs> <laughs> At this point, yes, maybe, who knows, like, the family moved out, the house is too big for them. They settled somewhere smaller. Another family moved in. <laughs> what, 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 if, what if the wet bandits had just got done robbing Gary White's or White's house? <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Yes, yeah, so who knows? Maybe somewhere there's a little Easter egg, like yeah. uh, when they were mentioning like some of their previous jobs. <laughs> Yeah, they used to be janitors at the school where Ferris Bueller went, and they're they were they're connected to Mr. Rooney. <laughs> oh my. God. <laughs> Mr. Rooney tells him about all the students that are going on vacation or whatever, and that's how he gets to the houses. <laughs> and they're in the same gang. Oh, they're in the same gang as those losers in Baby's Day Out. <laughs> their, oh, their, their former leader was Christopher Lloyd from the Dennis the Menace movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And then he lost everything, and you know that's how he ended up in Dennis the Menace. He was just traveling. Yeah. Along. <laughs> oh man. Oh, <sighs> so much fun! Seriously, again, it's an '80s classic. So fun, definitely can rewatch it. Definitely. And Danny Elfman, don't be ashamed of that song. Yeah, oh, no way. Uh, what is our next? Although movie? my is favorite this... was Party. Uh, my favorite is one from actually uh, uh, 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and it's uh, No One Lives Forever. Oh, wow. Oh, Goodbye, Goodbye was a good one, too, from... Um, uh, yeah, uh, they did... We're probably never going to discuss this on the show besides right now. Um, the next year is when they do the Fast Times at Ridgemont High TV spinoff, which only lasted six episodes. They did the theme song, and it's so good. I'll definitely have to listen. Yeah, I'll, have I'll, to, I'll find it on YouTube. There, you, there's a few episodes that survived on YouTube. Um, okay, what is our next film? Okay, our next film... Oh, man, this is, I think, the biggest... I'm pretty sure it was the biggest hit of 1985, as far as my knowledge goes. 215 yes, million, man. and I saw it in the theaters, and boy, you have got to see this in theaters if they ever replay it. It's such a wonderful experience. We saw it in a packed theater, and it just played like nobody's business. Yes, oh, and of course it was featured in Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, season 3, I believe, when they go to the Oh, mall, right, go yeah. The this yeah. is one of Back the quintessential, the it's, my, it's my favorite trilogy. I think it's one of the few true trilogies. Um, it is perfect from beginning to end. When I heard a complaint once, I said, the first 15 minutes is so boring. I was like, fuck you. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want out of this movie, huh? <laughs> it's like you're establishing character, plot, and what's going on, setting it all up before it gets to the juicy part. It's an appetizer. Right? I mean, the iconic, I mean, alone, the iconic scene of him coming in and they're showing all the clocks and he's just kind of setting things up. He gets that giant fucking speaker with an itty bitty itty teeny teeny willy little guitar and it just blows him away instantly that's a hell of a fucking opening oh god yes it was a ridiculous gag do you <laughs> do you remember there's a clock in there I think it's right after they look at the cat clock there's a clock where a guy keeps lifting a beer he's leaning up against a light post and the, the, the hand keeps going up to his yes. mouth with a beer my grandma Ruth had that oh my it was. It's a real yeah, clock, and, and she had it on her wall, and we could not wait for the hour to come around so we could watch it go. Yeah, no. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's... Oh, I'm surprised my dad didn't have that kind of clock. But I don't know if he's <laughs> old enough. He, your dad's not that old. It's, it's, it's something, I think, from, like, the 50s or something. But, um... Yeah. Uh, it's just everything in this works. Uh, the opening, the, the, the I love the set, which became quintessential after this movie. Uh, well, I think it was actually used in Gremlins. Yeah. I think it was actually using Gremlins and then this, and it's a Monster Squad, and it's still, I think, up until, was well, using the Burbs, uh, tons of amazing stories. Spielberg loved this set because it was an all-American square, and I believe it was using Gilmore Girls, and I don't know if the set's still being used or not, but that was one of the last things well, I know. Yeah, and Warner, yeah, that was the Warner Brothers set, I believe. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, Gremlins had their own Warner Brothers Town Square set. That was used for Gilmore Girls. Okay. Universal definitely had their own square, which okay. is where we see uh, Back to the Future happen. Yeah, uh, I, I remember this. I went on uh, the tours last year. Oh, Disney. you get to do this. i got to come down with you and go to Disney. I've never been to Disneyland. I'm going to Disneyland, damn it. And I'm going to go see Universal Studios. I, and I still have not seen, you know, uh, Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars area. Well, I've but heard that's a, a torturous... Yeah, I've heard it's a torturous way. Mindy went to see it, though, so... Maybe it's not that hard to get in. I, mean, I knew you have to reserve it like way ahead of time, I think, and you only have to get like a small chunk of time. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, but yeah, like pretty much we'll have to spend the whole day there. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, back to this movie. Uh, yes, again, Robert Zemeckis just absolutely knows what he's doing. Had perfect timing. I mean, yeah, when it came to the comedic parts, they originally cast uh, Eric Stoltz, but he just didn't have what Michael J. Fox had. Yeah, what I was reading was, uh, reading, I was watching the documentary on Teen Wolf, and what had happened was he was literally doing uh, family ties from uh, 8 in the morning to like 3 in the afternoon, then he would shoot 
um, uh, pickups for like a month there. He was doing pickups and, and audio tracks for Teen Wolf, and then he had to spend all night on Back to the Future and just napping when he got the chance. He was sleeping like three hours a night for months. That's crazy. That energy oh. is, so, but the energy almost is almost needed because he's kind of fried and frazzled in this film. Oh no, no, definitely. I mean, kind of. I mean, hey, it also fits with what he's trying to do in the movie. He's like in the past, and he's trying to ensure that his parents still hook up so he could still be born with his and his siblings as well. Yeah, when we discovered um, that the first time I saw that, did you freak out? Because I was like, oh my god, he's going to die. They're actually going to kill him because I was a kid and I didn't know any better. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh my god, he's disappearing. Yeah, it's freaky. It's like, you know, uh, it's your seat kind of movie. And this is a brand new movie. It's not based off anything. It's original. Yeah. So, shit. You're almost like, oh crap. It didn't happen. This year it's a sad ending. But then, no. Oh god, Crispin Glover. Like, he comes back in, pushes Courtney Gaines out of the way. Bam. Earth <laughs> Angel. <laughs> Earth Angel. <laughs> I have a DeLorean on my oh, fridge yeah. from Back to the Future 2. I have a DeLorean little plate on my keys. I truly believe it is in my top ten, and it is the greatest trilogy. I know this backwards and forwards. I think two is a little overstuffed, and I think the third one is a little... It's starting to wear thin a little bit, especially with the requirement of having the older actors uh, continually to show up. You know, like, forcing Leah Thompson in and, and just for like a minute, and there's no Chris Glover anymore. Some of it doesn't work. But... It's the closest right. thing to a true, it's a perfect trilogy uh, when you think about how much work that they put into them. We watch them as a whole. Yes, of course. Oh my gosh. I, mean, I think, um, what, two and three happen, are like released a year after each other because they were both uh, it the was same Nove- time. It was November 15th, 1989, it was Back to the Future 2, and then Memorial Day of 1990 is uh, Back to the Future 3. So they're shot together, but they knew post-production on Part 2 was going to take forever, so uh, that kind of delayed things a bit. I think I think originally Back to the Future 3 was supposed to be summer of 89. Thank goodness it didn't come out because there was so much competition, um, and there's a huge drop in the oh, box office. God, the first yes. one made 215, the second one made 115, and then the third one made 80 million. Yeah, no, that is a bit of a bummer, but still, they're, again... A perfect trilogy to how the story played out. Uh, just beautifully done. Everybody's got their own happiness. Like, the future's unwritten. And, yeah. Marty gets to spill, spend time with Jennifer. I honestly think Elizabeth Shue was the better actress. Um, but then again, there's I don't know. There's only so much for Jennifer. Yeah, I feel like they shoehorned her there's in the second so or third one. She didn't, she didn't seem comfortable. Yeah. Also, speaking of, uh, Claudia Wells is the one who was in the first Back to the Future. She's in that Fast Times at Ridgemont High role uh, uh, show. She takes over for the Phoebe Cates role. Oh, wow. Yeah, Patrick. Oh, okay. I think it was Patrick Dempsey's first role. It has Courtney Thorne-Smith and Dean Cameron from Summer School. They're in it. It's i got to find clips for you, or at least an episode for you. Absolutely. Please do. Um, but again, I saw this at the, wait, yeah, I saw this at the theater, I missed the second one, but I saw the third one at the drive-in with, um, uh, Jetsons, the movie. Oh, sweet, so that must have been a double treat. Yeah. Oh, man, I couldn't blame you, but I mean, when we, when I first watched this, of course, I was a kid and it was on TV, reruns, of course. <laughs> What's a rerun? <laughs> you set that one up perfectly. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. Jason but, um, Hervey, son of a bitch. <laughs> Dude, honestly, though, uh, watching, uh, again, just watching the first movie, I was more familiar with the second one because, you know, I was more into the, like, futuristic-looking stuff. Yeah. And the, 
as a kid, that's what I dreamed of, especially with the hoverboards. That was the most, one, I think, the most iconic things about it. But then going back to the first one, you know, seeing how it all really started, um, just like <laughs> having the, an, an Oedipal Rex moment kind of going on. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that's a that's a really awkward I know. scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, yes, I know. Liam Thompson, his mother. The He's skateboard, to make moves on the skateboard truck chase is so exciting and so well done. But I'm telling you, that final yeah. sequence with the thunderstorm and the lightning and Doc Brown and have it slide down and connect it all, the lightning just hit. I mean, it's it's a perfect sequence. Yes, absolutely. I know. It's just so pul- it's just so pulse kind of it's like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, get it, get it. Oh man. Okay, it's so quotable. So many through. fucking quotable things in this. It just uh what the fuck's a gigawatt? <laughs> you mean the actor? Marty, is there something is there something wrong with gravity in the future? <laughs> Slacker. You're all a bunch of slackers. <laughs> James Tolkien. Oh my god. Yeah, great supporting cast. Again, one of Billy Zane's early roles. Yeah, and um, Casey Semesco's in this too. He's one of the other guys. He ended up being in uh, Young Guns and Three O'clock High and uh, the best episode of Amazing Stories. You remember, yes. the, you remember oh, the one wow. where they're the fighter pilots? Kevin Costner's the pilot and he gets trapped in the bubble. I think so. Oh, God. He, he gets trapped in the I bubble because the, the, landing, the landing gear gets jammed because it gets shot out or something like that. And he's trapped in the bubble and they're running out of gas and they have to land. And then he draws and wishes and hopes to God or whatever. And it, all of a sudden there's a cartoon wheel that comes out and lands. They're safe. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. It's great. It's, I'll probably find it on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland's um, yeah, in it too. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh, wow. I got to find this but, episode okay, for you now. Yes, please do. But in this movie, I say who was definitely a show stealer. Oh gosh, Crispin Glover. Yeah, I mean, just high. absolutely astounding. Thomas F. Wilson got the short shaft though, because no one ever talks about his performance. No one ever gives him. He hardly got any work after this. He had to go back and do comedy again. I think him as Biff through this whole trilogy is the best thing. If Crispin Glover had stayed in, he probably would have got it. But Thomas F. Wilson is fucking amazing as Biff. Oh god, yeah, you can't. Absolutely. I mean, this is the one role that definitely made him. I mean, I, 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 I think he was also in Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, he, that was so many years later. Work. So many years later, he, like after this, I think he did April Fool's Day, which is a horror comedy. Uh, then he shows up in a very small part in Action Jackson, and then I couldn't fucking tell you what he did for another 15 years. I know. It, it is a bit of a bummer. I mean, he was involved with the Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios, because yeah. you know, he steals the time machine, and they go through all the different uh, decades and generations. But, um... Yeah, seriously. Uh, again, just like his stupidity is just what was so <laughs> astoundingly uh, charming. Make like, a tree Make like a tree and get out of yeah. here. <laughs> oh, manure. I oh, hate manure. Oh god, yes. Oh, and you god. see that. Re- you see that repeated throughout the trilogy, which yeah, is great. Yeah. Even with his uh, great ancestor in the third movie. Yeah, this is it, it, it's a franchise that goes beyond just the three movies. A lot of people don't realize that there was a cartoon series, there's video games, yes. uh, and I'm not just talking like the adaptations straight from the video games, which it's straight, I should say, not because those Nintendo games fucking suck. Um, but the one that he yeah, did, I didn't what, even know what to do. The Telltale games, right? That's the one that was kind of animated. Yeah, it was a point and click game, and it was uh, yeah, it was definitely more stylish. It looked 
more along the lines of the graphic novels that came yeah. out after it. Yeah, I think I sent you like one of those, sent- and, and I think the graphic novels are really yeah. good. And the reason they're so good is because Bob Gale has been in charge, I believe, for the entire time of the back. Like, Robert Zemeckis said, hey, you get to control this franchise. You know, when it comes to licensing and, and continuing the stories, you're in charge. And that's why they're still so strong because Bob Gale, A, it hasn't got a lot of work in the last 20 years. And B, he, uh, it's his baby. Why wouldn't you want to keep uh, hold of it? Exactly, I know. And it's still, like, so, like throughout every generation, it's still so well-loved. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Except... Nowadays, kids are going to be like, wait, that didn't happen in 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2016. They talk about remaking this, and I say, don't you fucking dare remake this. The only thing you can do with this franchise, the only thing you can do, is continue the story. I say Jules and Vern are now the main characters. They still go back in time or into the future or whatever, and maybe they go looking for Doc and Marty. You know, Maybe they got lost in a time thing or whatever, or just give them their own adventures. Uh, make it an animated movie. Yeah, exactly. Just something. Exactly. Oh, heck, Tom Holland could play Jules Verne. Oh, oh, I would like that. Because time is fluid with them. Yeah. Because they're born in the 1800s, but yet they could be, you know, 20. And yet it's, you know, in this year because they're bouncing around time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that'd be so good. Honestly, uh, who knows? Uh, if Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale come back to it and get another movie going, oh, yeah. yeah Man, need. Zemeckis needs a hit badly. It's been a very, very long time. Because remember, he stopped doing live action movies. Because he got distracted by the animated ones. He did Polar Express, Beowulf, and um, Christmas Carol. Yes, all those uh, mocap ones. Yeah, and then I think the last one, he he didn't direct it, but he produced it. It was called Mars Needs Moms, and that put his company out of business. Image Movers, I think it was. And then he regained some of his mojo with Flight. But then uh, The Walk was a huge flop, and Welcome Marlin. Marwin is a huge flop as well, even though I like that one. Um, Yeah, I... Yeah, I couldn't see why this flopped. It's so weird. But I, it just, uh, but that's how he began his career too. Used cars, and uh, I want to hold your hand. 1941, they all bombed, and they almost destroyed their career if it wasn't for *Romancing the Stone*. Yeah, it did save him. Oh, he did do *Witches* with uh, Anne Hathaway. Oh, I, I forgot that, that really just good. came out. I heard that's really good. People are really talking about that one. Yeah, I really do want to see it. Is it weird yeah, how the rules have changed? The rules have completely changed. You do not need to put a movie in theaters. You do not have to rely on the critics. You do not have to rely on what the opening box office is. It's just, hey, you gave us a big chunk of fucking money. You basically let us do whatever we want because we have some cachet with you. Like, you bring Robert Zemeckis to Netflix and that's or HBO Max. That's a name you can sell, like Michael Bay with Six Underground. And it really doesn't oh, yeah, matter how much it costs because it's about the subscriptions keeping you subscribed instead of getting you out of your house. Getting in your car, paying for the ticket for yourself or whoever else you're with, whatever, staying in line, dealing with other people, the rules have completely changed. And fuck, Wonder Woman is going to be on HBO Max opening day. And yeah, exactly. I know it's 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 a bold move, but it's like, dude, this movie's got to be shown. I know. And with the pandemic going on, there's not much the theaters can do. Right. Play, which is and, and Warner Brothers I is deep the in debt. Yeah. So, but that's it's amazing that now we have these new rules. And, uh, boy, do I wish my Roku had HBO Max. Make a deal, you fuckers. <laughs> well, my PS4 has HBO Max. Shut so up. I'm going to wait till Wonder Woman comes out. Shut up. I'm, I'm coming over to your house. I'm driving all the way down there to see it. <laughs> Fine. Go ahead. Also... Oh, yeah, they're releasing... Yeah, they're releasing a bunch of their movies on HBO Max right now. Yeah. Well, that's... of course, due to the pandemic with the theater efforts. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, when the biggest still... movie of the year, the biggest movie of 2020 post 
uh, COVID is tenant and it only made $57 million, something you're going to have to change the rules. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, was that, is that domestic or internationally? That's domestic. It's made like $357 million worldwide, though, so it's okay. Yeah, of course. And it's Christopher Nolan. Yeah. So that's another, that's another key factor. Well, we are um, at an hour. Yeah. I can't believe it's 6 o'clock. Uh, Woo! Well, we, I guess we don't, we'll don't. we do beer on the next episode. I really want you to see it because it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, anything else you want to say before we go? Uh, as far as it goes for um, movies now, um, as far as these ones go, Dick, okay, of course, Back to the Future is an instant classic. That goes without saying. But I would definitely recommend, I would definitely get recommend as far as like, you know, just ridiculous cheese. If you just want some cheese, just watch Last Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have a surprise for uh, you uh, and our listeners for Christmas. I or we might not get it done in time in Christmas, but for December, let's do a back in tune special. We haven't done one in a year. Let's let's uh, pick four '80s cartoons and just have fun with them because we haven't done one in so long. Oh joy! Yee, I got a list. I'm gonna send it to you, and you just pick whatever you want. Okay, oh my god. Oh, I feel so happy. Yeah, it's a hop, happy as a puppy with two pitas. <laughs> <laughs> a puppy with two pitas? Dogs like pitas? <laughs> um, I, so, I, uh, I have a good time, everybody. Stay safe and uh, send us out, Jacob. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Namaste. Good luck. KFC. <laughs> I did not what was expect, that? I did not expect that. You didn't hear that? <laughs> okay. Okay. Everybody, give me a to each other. I gotta go. <laughs>